0: This is Kyle Worley, and I am joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English, on this nice and warm day here in June, hot day in June in the great state of Texas. What's the temperature like in Colorado right now? I don't want to hear it. This morning,
1: it. I was out on my deck around 630. It was 64 degrees right now, it's about 78. Just it's just perfect. They had like a little light parka on. No. Sun was was rising. It was just perfect.
2: We won't see those temperatures. There was even I'm a there longer. was even
1: a mosquito that was up here and I sent him back to Texas.
0: Oh, my Well, gosh, yeah, that works. We will we'll we'll greet him with a nice slap on the arm. <laughs> um no, I mean so we didn't have this episode scheduled. Uh we didn't. But we just um, wanted to hang out. Yeah. We yeah, night. that's that. Yeah, that's what it was. And we decided, well, if we're gonna hang out, might as well just light some <laughs> fires at the same time. Um, for, for no, I seat. mean, we we you know, no, we come in peace. Um, you know, uh, we really do. Uh, uh, we I, I've, we've titled this episode "A Generous Complementarianism" again. Uh, we recorded an episode a number of years ago called "A Generous Complementarianism," and at the time, it was really uh, well. One, it's probably one of our most listened to episodes ever mm-hmm. um, at this point. And it struck a nerve and we didn't, we did not record that episode. I remember we did not record that episode because the three of us were hot about something. We recorded that episode because there was like, this is something that we have given a lot of thought to as a group. Mm-hmm. And we felt like, you know what, we we need to say this earlier than later in the life of the podcast. So we recorded that episode and it wasn't like, Uh, Our best thoughts on a on a a random afternoon. Years of work had preceded that, and relationships as well had preceded that there was a huge paper that had been at the church that we were at at the time, a huge paper that everyone had worked on. It was, there was a a lot of conversations that had happened. There were institutional changes that were being made. And we were a few years into our collaborative relationship at that point. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like, Hey, we we need to talk about this together for this audience. So why are we coming back to it?
1: well, and we were also experiencing that conversation. Yeah. It wasn't just that we had written a white paper and read the Bible and the, those things were important. It's that we were living the life of doing theology together and realizing the benefits of it. And one thing that I felt over the last few weeks and as kind of evangelicals enters conversations around complementarianism again, and, and I, I, I want to say what Kyle said at the beginning, we're, we come in peace and we really desire to bring more light than heat to this conversation right now. There's too much heat mm-hmm. around this. Then there is charity and light and grace and opening the scriptures together, and that's what we hope this conversation is. Uh, but I, I remember ex- feeling, oh my gosh, we've already had this mm-hmm, conversation. Mm-hmm. Like the thing they're talking about, we've done, mm-hmm. we've talked about. Doesn't mean we're right about everything. Doesn't mean we're further along. It just means that in God's grace, we've we've had the opportunity to have this conversation before. And and I just I wanted to express my gratitude to the two of you of. And what a joy it's been to have this conversation as friends and as brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and say like, what does God's word say about this? And then seeing other people in good faith try to enter the conversation too. I kind of thought, how might we help them mm-hmm. think about this? And how, how could we, how could our conversation help brothers and sisters who, who are entering this conversation in good faith?
2: Yeah, I think for me as a woman in visible leadership in the local church and also outside of the local church, this most recent round of chatter Uh, About women uh, has been probably the most jarring because I think I've I've, I'm far enough now down in, in my experience of seeing the beauty of brothers and sisters playing out in the local church that it catches me more by surprise now that some churches are just beginning to think about some of the things that we had talked about and it does it takes time it takes time for those conversations to develop but I think I have sort of had my head down doing work in my own church and thought oh my goodness I. I thought we were all a little a little further into our thinking on this. And for a lot of people, these are new ideas still. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to take a little time to think through. And so, yeah, JT starts texting and he's like, hey, I'm seeing stuff that we talked about five years ago that people are talking about for the first time. And uh, we felt a little energy around maybe entering back into the conversation Um I would say, JT, I, I do think we fur- we're further down the road in terms of the amount of time that we've spent thinking on it. It doesn't mean necessarily that our conclusions are where people who are further right. down the road are going to land, but you can say that at this point, they're measured conclusions. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That, that's exactly right. I just want to have an invitation, and you're doing this, Jen, I want to have an invitational posture to say, theology is a lifelong yes. subject. Yeah. And I have believed things in my life that I no longer believe. And I believe things now that I didn't five years ago because I'm learning. And I'm growing, and uh, I want to invite people into that task. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we don't hold hold things convictionally. Like we do. There are things that we hold with tight fists, and we say we would die for these things. There's other things that we would say, I'm learning. I'm spending time in conversation. I'm growing, and I'm spending, most importantly, time in God's Word so that my conclusions can most appropriately match God's authoritative, sufficient Word. And I think it's important for us to say, the three of us at the beginning, like, Our listeners, I want to speak to you for a second. Sometimes we're just talking to Jen and Kyle, but listeners, like the three of us are committed. Like we can be concerned about conversations like this because we think that how are they going to read us? You guys need to know that we are committed evangelicals broadly reformed, evangelical. We believe in the authoritative, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, canonized word of God. And we want to give our lives to it. We want our conclusions to match it. We want our ecclesiologies locally uh, to be in accordance with it. We want Jesus Christ to be proclaimed, crucified every single week in the life of our local churches. Mm -hmm. We also want to enter these conversations and say, where can we grow? Where can we get better? How can Mm -hmm. we learn? and and we just want to do that with you because we feel like God's given us an opportunity to have a public conversation here that we want to invite you into as well
0: yep yeah and we're and 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 we and we would consider ourselves complementarians mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah yes so I mean I'm, it's I, like, I actually got the laminated card in my wallet you <laughs> <can see.
2: laughs> right of course well, I'll just say at the outset because I do feel like I have to clarify this more often than I wish I did but like I'm not preaching at the village church like, I'm not I'm not a pastor. I don't preach. Like we literally got a phone call a couple of weeks ago where uh, I didn't. it didn't come to me. Thankfully, I don't have to answer the phone for these things, but it was someone who was just out of her mind, upset that her church was going to do one of my Bible studies because clearly I was preaching on Sunday at the village and was a pastor and had a vote in the elder room. And it's just fake news. I mean, but you can see how there's enough energy around this that people don't care to investigate. They just... They just think, oh, my gosh, exactly what everybody said is happening. And so, you know, all mm-hmm. the all the slippery slope language that we've talked about previously really um, is more or less designed to shut down conversation. And so we're just yep. saying, hey, let's see if we can't talk about points on a line instead of, nope, nope, if you, if you say this, then it's a slippery slope toward this. Um, let's have a more measured discussion of it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's start here. In the last month or so, there's been renewed chatter about men, women, office of pastor, gift of shepherding, teaching, preaching, churches, leadership, ecclesiology, complementarianism. Uh, It's been shaped by evangelicals and broadly dealings in the specific tradition of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's being shaped um, by, yet again, the tragic realization that there has been an abuse of power, predominantly among male clergy and leadership of the Southern Baptist convention in the executive committee and across some SBC entities and local churches. Uh, and that is compounding the reflection on this question. It's certainly, it certainly in the... They're in the air at the same time, and they are influencing one another. We have a vested interest in this conversation that goes before all of this, that predates Mm -hmm. the last six weeks or the last six months of a news cycle. And we just want to talk about it. We're not going to retrace all our steps. If you want to hear our first in probably some of the more like 101 stuff, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our first cut of generous complementarianism. The first episode we did years back, you'll get a lot of the more tectonic, structural, some of the theological and biblical arguments on some of the key texts. We're, we're not going to dive too deep into all that stuff here because we have before. Uh, and a lot of our reflections here are going to be more top-line stuff that's sitting on those conclusions uh, that that all of us have done significant work in and has been published and is available in various formats. So You can check that out. So if you feel like, well, why aren't you guys dealing with headship passages in 1 Corinthians? Well, that's not what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. We've done that elsewhere. We're going to talk about some of the more pressing things. And one of the key ones has been, what is a pastor? Mm -hmm. That that, that question has been coming up. For some churches, um, there are some traditions that will heavily regulate the use of language. Um, The free church tradition— uh, or church, uh, or denominations and traditions that tend to privilege local church autonomy, um, local churches could find themselves, you might have 10 or 12 different local churches whose language of pastor is not regulated beyond um, the local church level, meaning they, they use that title for any range of offices, staff positions, leadership things. Uh, and that may or may not be congruent with the confessional witness of a denomination they belong to or with a broader theological tradition. But if the three of us are talking, what is a pastor? We're not answering it for everybody. We're answering it in light of God's word for us. Where do we begin with this?
1: So we were actually having a conversation offline that might help us kind of think about this because I feel like where the conversation can tend to go a rhyme is really around grammar here. You can use like pastor as a noun and you can use it as a verb. You can use it as something that is, and you can use it as as something that someone does. And so you might say, hey, thanks for pastoring me through that. Mm-hmm. And by that, what we mean is things like, thanks for praying for me. Thanks for shepherding me. Thanks for caring for me. Thanks for coming over to my house. Thanks mm-hmm. for calling me. Thanks for whatever. And in evangelicalism, we can use that term really broadly. And what we mean by that is, is thanks for entering into a situation of, you know, in my, in my life where I, I, I needed somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can use the word shepherd similarly. Thanks for shepherding me through that. And this is where I get a little frustrated in kind of the American evangelical tradition being a newcomer to it just 15 years ago as kind of a non-church pagan kid is we have a whole lot of words that we use and we have no idea what they mean, but we think they mean something that we want them to mean Mm -hmm. and we can use them differently. And we want to make sure that those words are being used biblically and theologically in accurate ways. Let me give one more challenge before I answer the uh, one more problem that we face in this before I give my definition of pastor or, or what I think the Bible's definition is is not only do individuals use this term pastor differently. Thanks for pastoring me. Thanks for shepherding me through that. Thanks for praying for me. Autonomous churches use this language differently.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Churches in different traditions, denominations, and across time, this has been used differently. And so when we come to this conversation, we can assume that the way that my church uses the word pastor is the same way that every other church uses the word pastor. Mm -hmm. And that's not quite true. So we often have to ask the question, are you pastoring or do you have women pastors or whatever the question might be, we have to ask the question, what do you mean by pastor? Mm -hmm. Like what's the definition that you're using? Because your definition might not be my definition. That doesn't mean that both are equal definitions. I'm not trying to put forward some kind of postmodern understanding Mm -hmm. of like subjective meaning and language. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, in light of doing conversations, we have to define terms together mm-hmm. and make sure that we're saying the same thing. Because mm-hmm. if we're saying different things, then we're actually not in disagreement and argument, perhaps. It could just be that we're using the same term a little bit differently. And I think that's what's most often happening here. Yeah, ahead, I know
2: you're going to define it, but I do feel like that's a lot of what the stress for me has been in this conversation, is it feels like people are just talking past one another. They're not even right. really, there's. it's all heat and no light because everyone is making assumptions about what a word means. Means or how a title is used that are only that are not even true from one church to the next and so it's a little like um, I remember when I was learning about Mormonism I kind of went down the wormhole on Mormonism at one point and how um, one of the evangelism, um, tactics that Mormons use is they use a lot of the same terms that Christians use, and they'll use them in bewildering ways to where a Christian's like, oh, I guess we really do believe the same thing, uh, when in fact it's a different, um, uh, there's a different connotation for their, their understanding of grace or something like that. And I think we have almost kind of the inverse of that in this conversation. It's like, well, everybody knows what a pastor is, Right. But it's like, but we're not all using the same working definition. And so then you no. just end up fighting over, it's it's nonsensical.
1: And you realize you're fighting over a term, not a definition. Right. And that's what can be a problem here is we can fight over the term of what does it mean to be a pastor and realize we actually don't have the same definition for a pastor. And again, I just want to be abundantly clear on this. That does not make all definitions the same. Or you equal you no. might have a definition yeah. for pastor that's wrong. And right. we'd be happy to talk about that, but... It's important just in, in light of wanting to believe the best about each other and engage in charitable conversation to make sure we understand what the other person's saying before we either agree with it or criticize it. Mm-hmm. So if we're using just basic definitions that I think the Bible gives us for pastor, uh, there are two Greek terms. The first is episkopos, used five times in the New Testament, or presbyteros, used a little over 70 times in the New Testament. It's most often used to refer to this, uh, I believe, office of elder, office of pastor. Other translations for this term could be bishop or Presbyter or overseer or pastor, in my view, there might be slight distinctions in some of those terms, but for the most part, the New Testament is using these terms synonymously. So, if we're thinking about like a Venn diagram, there's a ton of overlap with presbyteros, uh, episcopos, shepherd, elder, teacher, overseer, and that is a role that I that I believe the Bible says is defined for qualified men and is reserved for qualified men to to function and hold the office in local churches of what it means to be a pastor, elder shepherd. That is a very limited number of people in the life of the church. That is, it is, uh, reserved for qualified men and that means there are lots of men in the church that are not pastors and this is where sometimes in, even in complementarian circles we can get we can get real funky with our language we can say well every home group is like a small church and you're the shepherd of your home group or you're the mm-hmm. pastor of your home group that has actually muddied the waters here mm-hmm. they are not pastors they are not shepherds and those are not churches mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that we say that, that we don't want to use that language there either. And that would also mean that, that women are, are excluded from this role, but it's simply reserved for qualified men. And those qualified men might go in and out of office. We're rolling an elder off at my church in about two weeks. And that means, despite the fact that he is a qualified man and a qualified male and has functioned as an elder at our church for the last five years, he no longer holds that office in the life of our church beginning in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think what you said there, I'm in wholehearted agreement with top to bottom. The only thing I would add to that is you mentioned presbyteros and episkopos. There's one other Greek word here, poemas uh, or po- mm-hmm. uh, poimen, which is the word in Ephesians 4.11, which has been one of the contested passages here on whether or not pastoring is a gift uh, or an office. And I would say that poimen should be used and construed in the same way, as presbyteros and episcopos meaning that when we're talking about pastor shepherd or pastor, bishop, overseer, shepherd, elder, those, that constellation of words, what we are finding in the New Testament is that it is an office. It's not a gift. It's not transferable. It is an office. It's an office reserved for qualified men. And, and another important caveat here is, is qualified men who are ordained. Mm-hmm. Right not qualified men indiscriminately mm-hmm. there might be people in your church who are qualified men who aren't elders it is an office hopefully one, lots oh yeah that what it is an office that one is ordained into and in my hybrid form of church government, it's it, it's a uh, it's ordained under a council of existing elders that have already been ordained and with the glad affirmation of a congregation of men and women. So it's that part of this is a mi- missed part of this. I just saw a major player in this conversation who will remain nameless, who are publishing books on what a pastor is, and in their description of the book and in the book itself— Their leading line for what the Bible says is the office of pastor is reserved for men. That's not true. Mm -hmm. In and of itself, that's not Mm -hmm. true. The office of pastor is reserved for qualified men. Mm -hmm. It's not reserved for men indiscriminately as a result of gender. It's reserved for qualified men by virtue of what Scripture says. Well,
2: and just to kind of like drive home the significance of of that point, Kyle, like this man in JT's church who's going to roll off and not be an elder anymore, that means that he will he will function within the church in the same way that any other man or woman functions in the church after his time serving as an elder comes to a conclusion. Yes. And I think that kind of like helps you understand what we are and are not saying. Um, but unfortunately, too often this is a conversation about what women can or cannot do, um, instead of about what non-elders can or cannot do and i i what what i do not like about that there are several things but one is <laughs> <laughs> one is that it implies it, it implies a subtext anytime a woman is suggesting that she might step into leadership that is not there when a man is suggesting that he might step into leadership. A woman, it is assumed is going to transgress a boundary, but a non-elder man, that assumption does not seem to be underlying uh, his his potential to step into leadership. Um, now, as soon as I say the word leadership, we, we start to get into um, hot water because uh, there are some who I equate the office of pastor as the only office that should exercise authority or leadership in the church. That authority is by definition something that is in the hands of that person. But we would say that there are many kinds of authority that exist in the church. There are many places where different kinds of authority are exercised and that there is a particular kind of authority that is reserved for the pastor elder. But that does not mean that authority as a universal concept is, is only given to that person. So you should be able to talk about other people in the church exercising forms of authority that are not uniquely pastoral in nature without setting your hair on fire. Um, uh, An example of that would be anyone who stands up to teach the Bible um, in a setting that is not the preaching in the gathering, for example. Um, They're exercising authority in the same way that your first grade teacher had authority when she stood up to teach you. Every teacher is exercising a form of authority but it's, it's not elder pastor authority. And so we've not had nuanced conversations around what we mean when we say pastor, but we've also not had nuanced conversations around what we mean when we talk about exercise of authority, what kind of authority, whose authority. And so that, that complicates things as well.
0: What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lillias Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. It certainly does, because um, part of this is um, part of the confusion over the execution of pastoral responsibilities is the misuse of the pastoral title. Mm -hmm. That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. That's more of a problem of the regulation of local churches— not appropriately regulating the use of the title of pastor. So then, you know, you've got a creative arts pastor and you've got a student <laughs> pastor and a kid's pastor and an administrative pastor and a facilities pastor. And I'm not saying that somebody could not be both a pastor mm-hmm. and in charge of facilities in the life mm-hmm. of a church. I'm just saying that the, one of those does not necessitate the other. Um, and we often, I think churches from a place of wanting to distinguish the work of ministry from work outside of that, are hesitant to use titles beyond pastor. Mm -hmm. But it's actually helpful to use titles beyond pastor, presumably if the person is not a qualified man ordained to pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. If that has not happened, then it doesn't matter. Ultimately, a pastor is more about the who the person is in terms of is this a qualified man who has been ordained by a council of elders with a glad affirmation of a congregation? It is? Okay. Well, that person can now do any number of leadership and service opportunities in the life of the church because – Ultimately, at the end of the day, a pastor is an office before it is any of the functions or competencies of that office. And I think the Bible gives us clear instructions on who can hold that office and who can't. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I think it's exactly right. And if we're just doing a little bit of systematic theology for a second— Uh, I'm going to use some big terms, and don't worry, Jen. I'm going to define them (laughs) uh, because you've taught taught me well. So in in systematic theology, we have some big categories, uh, whether it's theology proper or the one that I'll bring up now is anthropology. That's the doctrine of what it means to be human. We talk about gender and age and limitedness and image-bearing and dignity. All of those things kind of fall under this umbrella of anthropology. We're also talking about this big umbrella of ecclesiology, meaning the doctrine of the church. And unfortunately, uh, before I say unfortunately, doctrine all works together. There is not one category of doctrine that you can do in a silo by itself without considering another doctrine. So don't overhear what I'm about to say. But when we talk about pastoring, we're primarily talking about A doctrine that falls under ecclesiology, not a doctrine that falls under anthropology, but it can very quickly become solely an anthropological conversation of can men do this and can women do this and what do men do and what do women do? And that's where we get misguided here rather than treating it solely, not solely, but primarily as a a conversation on ecclesiology, because what Kyle just said is true. There are more qualifications for the office of elder under the doctrine of ecclesiology than being a male. And I would love to see people get as frustrated about elders who are being ordained and put into the office of elder who can't teach doctrine. Mm-hmm. Why don't we right. get pumped about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, or who are drunkards who can't run their family. We'll just put the next guy who's kind of a leader guy like in our church and say, help me lead here. But when we're talking about being put into the office of elder, we're talking about a lot of qualifications. Being a male. A qualified male is only one of them. Mm-hmm. There are lots of other other things that seem to just fall by the wayside here.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! That's you're exactly right, and it exacerbates the problem because uh, with the diminishment of the off- that office and what is required to be in that office, it then makes it feel like well, it is a flimsy office, and really anybody could fill it. And then I think the burden of proof is on. I, I think the burden of proof truly is not on egalitarians on this issue. I really don't think it is. I think. It's on committed complementarians to say, if we are so confident about what's required for this office, then we should be extremely diligent about who holds it. That is like, in my mind, it's like, if that's really how you feel, then I would stop playing across the fringes of the fence post of our denomination and I
2: would settle and get my own house in order first. Well, and I think that's what makes this conversation difficult right now, right? Is because if you're a woman sitting in the cheap seats, watching everything play out, you're you're feeling wait a minute you guys are arguing about whether women can be pastors and yet we have this damning list of men who never should have been mm. You know, I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's hard for women to absorb that. And it's not because they want to be pastors. It's because they can see the disconnect in the thinking of like, wait, it's women that have to be, you know, um, that have to be controlled or, or, or kept from taking something that isn't theirs. Like the, the history of church leadership is more often about men uh, who have needed to be held in check and not take what isn't theirs. People who weren't qualified who stepped into the pastorate. Yep. That's
0: You're you're right. So we've talked about how the title is misused. We've talked about what is a pastor, who can be a pastor. How does, you know, there are some who are looking at it and go, hold on. It's not like we're saying that only a pastor can exercise ministry. Doesn't the Bible say pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry? So are we saying only pastors do the ministry of the church? How does this office of pastor relate to the fact that God has invited and made his word accessible and the the spiritual empowerment by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit to read and rightly interpret and to teach and to care and to lead and to serve, not just the prerogative privilege and powers of a pastor, but of the whole of a local church? How do these two things relate to one another, right? Can I not teach the Bible because only pastors are supposed to teach? can i not lead in my church because pastors are supposed to be qualified men who are ordained to lead is this what is this is this what we're supposed to read from all this I would
1: prefer if you stopped teaching the Bible, Kyle. For the <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you and many, other, you and many <laughs> others. You.
1: While, while you're asking the question, no, of course not. Kyle's one of the best teachers I know. No, of course not. The, the Bible has command after command after command for all people to go make disciples. Mm-hmm. Whether we're talking about the priesthood of believers in the New Testament, or even giving some of the, the shadows that we see in the Old Testament given to Israel and the priesthood of of what it meant to be an Israelite given to the, the, the kings and queens of Israel. Mm -hmm. so to speak, which meant every image bearer who is a a dynastic reflection of who God is and what God was doing in the world. That was not just meant for Pharaoh to be an image bearer, but for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we need to be reminded of is that reflecting who God is in Christianity has been democratized To all image bearers. Mm -hmm. There are not some of us who get to image and represent and reflect God more than others. We all have the opportunity to do that. And that's what the Reformation was really trying to recover in the priesthood of believers. Luther had Mm -hmm. lines like, you know, if God's called you to fix shoes, don't stoop to be a king and do it for the glory of God. And so we want to make sure that all Christians uh, feel this innate sense of sacredness in their calling but even then, more specifically, a specific command to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. This is the great commission that Jesus gives, not just to an elite few or towards the office of elders, but to all people when he says, go baptize, teach all people to know me and that they might have my name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit proclaimed over them that they might follow everything that I do. And so I think it's important in the middle of this conversation, this is, I'm going to bring up an analogous conversation here, uh, one of the things that we talk about in active learning environments is good teachers want to eliminate the, the, the expert amateur divide. We're trying to help people mm-hmm. grow, not create an expert amateur divide. And that's the same thing we want to say here with pastoring is pastors are not meant to create distance between them and the congregation, but actually mm-hmm. help the congregation know their own spiritual gifts to make God known in their unique ways uh, and in their unique contexts.
2: I think that, That's a big point. I was thinking about this last night, knowing that we were going to have this conversation today, that there are those both in the pews and in the pulpit who have enjoyed the expert amateur divide and who have desired for it to grow and not shrink. Um, And when the people in the pews are like that, they're essentially saying, as Israel did, give us a king like the nations when they want the pastor to um, be the big deal, you know, when they want the church to be all about him being awesome. And then when he simultaneously buys into that, uh, it's no wonder that we see burnout and we see some of the failures that we do because no one is meant to bear that you know no one's meant to bear that and it can be a it can be a sin on both sides of the equation i don't think that it's just pastors who are saying you know what what i do is really the secret sauce on whether this church rises or falls i think the people in the pews have also said yeah and that's what we want we want you to be the shiny you know the shiny personage and the rest mm-hmm. of us to just bow down and and follow what you say and so that's why i think some of the work that we've done on knowing faith is is critical because it's asking people to not to overtake uh, and replace the role of pastor, but instead to be in glad partnership with that overseer in a way that demonstrates the priesthood of all believers. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. I agree with that. And I do think that what both of you have just said is really helpful. One of the things that I often find is that when we, when we think about um, how people view themselves in leadership in the life of a local church, we are hesitant to give them clear pipelines and clear roadmaps to how to lead in the local church. Mm-hmm. And we tell them, they are leaders. We tell them they, they they we need them to serve. We need them to lead. And we don't give them any roadmaps on how to do that. I think one of the things that really could be very helpful in the life of local churches, particularly where there is um, confusion over what a pastor is, is to talk to your people about how you raise up leaders, how you evaluate leaders, and how you Deploy leaders mm-hmm. and to invite them into a clear uh, process. I think sometimes uh, in these, there's a lot of churches um, that seem to have a pastoral process that really involves "I'm a dude, you're a dude, so let's all be dudes together <laughs> in this room, and we'll meet up every it's not other week."
1: Dude, it's bro, bro, yeah.
0: Bro. It's just it's like it's like dude, bro. It's like the that that you and and I think the church is left to wonder. How is what? How did this person become a pastor here? Mm-hmm. How did this person become a deacon here? Mm-hmm. How did this person become a Bible teacher here? Did is it just like that they were likable and they proximate? Or who they knew. And it's those kinds of things that I think provide an unnecessary obfuscation to what we're actually doing and how other people can play a part in that. I don't know why we insist on muddying the waters that way. I think there's some sense – we used to hear all the time like, oh, the only people who should be elders in the life of a church are people who don't want to be elders. I used to think that's so (laughs) That's the dumbest – that's so dumb. Like Paul literally says it's good to have an aspiration to be an elder. So like that's and, – and you're telling me that the people who are leading our church are people who purportedly didn't want to lead our church? It feels so ridiculous. And It's just like all of these little aphorisms have been retweeted into the collective consciousness of evangelicalism, and it is – it's created – Such a confusion over who are pastors, what do they do? Because as we've said before, if you're asking me, what what can somebody who's not a pastor do? Or what can a woman do? If that's the question, what can a woman do in the life of our church? My answer is anything that's not reserved for the office of elder. Anything that's not reserved for the office of pastor. It's on the table.
2: I'm sorry, Kyle, but you have used the term obfuscation and aphorism, and you are now banned from speaking in the microphone for a period of 30 (laughs) seconds.
1: Yeah, I defined my terms,
2: Kyle. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So I do think, yeah, I I do think like for for the pastors who are listening to this and they're thinking through their own org chart or their own structure at their church, I think one of the things that is important for you to be aware of is that women in particular know when the title of pastor is being handed out just for grins. You know, when it's sort of just a oh, you know what, let's call him a pastor. Like they they see that. That is not hidden to them. And so, um it's really important to nail down who what which roles in your in your structure require to be filled by a pastor elder and which don't and then have a consistent usage of the title. And I would just add to that that if you feel like getting into fights about this with people It is so important if the church is going to be known for respectful dialogue with one another, and I do so hope that I live long enough to see that be our reality, but if we're going to be known as those who are gracious and civil in our speech, it means that we would not start a conversation about this without clearly defining terms and at least understanding where someone who is saying something different is coming from and make sure that we understand even the nature of our disagreement before we enter into dialogue about it
0: that's That's exactly right okay let's let's land here how this conversation
1: i thought we were in the intro
2: (laughs) (laughs) what do you need to share with us jt exactly yeah exactly i've got
1: i've got it i've got it i'm I'm ready you just ask the question i'll be ready to go no matter what you ask i'm gonna say whatever well
0: no that's i've learned that the hard (laughs) way um so this conversation on the pastoral office men women in the life of the church is not happening in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's the only thing on like up for discussion. Um, It's happening alongside other conversations among evangelicals and Southern Baptists. conversations like um, how to, how do we create situations that are healthy for vulnerable people Mm -hmm. in our church? How do we regulate and quality control when there is abuses of pastoral office? Mm-hmm. How do we care and make uh, and repent and make restitution for wrongs that are committed by pastors within our churches or our denominations? How do we um, avoid major icebergs that could topple our reputation and our witness and our integrity when it comes to care, uh, particularly when there is an imbalance of power, as there is often between men and women in the life of our churches. So how should some of those conversations shape the way we approach these questions? Because they should.
2: Yeah. So first of all, if over 50% of your church could not hear, they were deaf, you would think about, how you were doing ministry uh, with that top of mind, right? You would not ignore that over half of your church were deaf. Um, so, if half of your, if over half of your church were Spanish speaking, you would not uh, make no accommodations to to recognize that that was the lived uh, experience of over half of your church. And so, when it comes to questions that are um, that are uh, more heavily uh, raised about. Uh, women. So issues of vulnerability, issues of abuse. We know that statistically speaking, women are targets of abuse more frequently than men are. Women make up more than half of your church. And so it makes sense that in the same way that you would want to hear from the deaf community in your church, or that you would want to hear from the Spanish speaking community in your church, if they made up a majority of those who are coming, that you would want to make room to hear from this population that are in your church who are eager to be of help in navigating issues that are particularly painful uh, or challenging for them. And I think that what we've seen instead is how can we make sure that women don't get out of the box and so I know that the, the conversation around women being pastors is w- much more than that. And there are good conversations to have around it. But the timing of this popping up when this other issue of abuse and misuse of power is the one that is on the table, the timing is difficult. It's hard. And it, it feels a little suspicious yeah. to me. It feels like a misdirect.
0: It does. And it feels like, and I I think that's right. You know, I was saying before we jumped on it, it feels um, seasonally inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about like uh, Ecclesiastes, there are seasons for things. There are times in which it makes sense to do one or the other. And the question here is not whether or not. Uh, uh, The thing is, truth is evergreen. It's not seasonally confined. We're not suggesting that truth should be mitigated season to season. But there are some things that maybe when you would pick up a, uh, you know, you'd pick up a megaphone and put it to your mouth. You know, you might choose to say one thing over another because of the immediate and urgent needs of the situation. I'm sure that the people, when they were fleeing the Titanic, somebody could have got up the megaphone and said, hey, please, as you're running, please uh, make sure you tie your shoes. Wouldn't want you to trip. Uh, But they had a bigger concern that was going on, which was getting people off of the Titanic. Um, And so I think that right now in the midst of a conversation that where there are other things that are going on, it might be okay for us to say, yeah, we do think this is important. We think it's true even. We even have confessional Mm -hmm. documents that state it clearly. And we should really make sure that we understand what our principles of participation and agreement are. And you know what? We've been kind of allowing that to go unaddressed. And now that this other thing has shown up that we really need to deal with, and it crosses over with a huge group of people that are involved in the other conversation, maybe we should hold off on that for just a little while longer, you know? (laughs)
1: Well, I guess I get to follow up that with whatever I want to say now, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, I think this is important. I would love your feedback to see if you. Guys, I think you guys will agree with this. Um, I've been trying to think about how to say this the right way, so I hope it comes out in a way that doesn't feel like verbal vomit. We have been, when I say we, I say the collective evangelical conscience, to use Kyle's undefined term. Uh, You're welcome. Very concerned about guarding the office of elder from women. I understand Mm -hmm. that. I think that Mm -hmm. the Bible says this is for qualified men, not Mm -hmm. just men, but for qualified Mm -hmm. men. Period. Full stop. There are also other guardrails that we need to have for the office of elder that I think we have neglected that we need to continue to uphold and empower and encourage men to pursue Pursuing the office of elder or desiring to hold it, as Paul would tell us, does not mean being male. It means being a godly male who is qualified to teach and uphold doctrine in the life of a church. We need to uphold all the qualifications equally, and it seems like we're only upholding one of them, and we need to uphold all of them. Secondly, there are other offices in the life of the church that when we're so busy guarding the office of elder or pastor that are going entirely neglected, including the office of deacon Mm -hmm. and I would say the office of member. Yep, we gosh. should be just as diligent in guarding the offices of member and uh, and guarding the offices of deacon. And if we did those things well, then it would be far easier for us to guard and uphold the office of elder as mm-hmm. well. So all of this ecclesiology works together. Theology, the Bible is one unified Theme and picture and story and belief and theology of how God has ordered the world, the family, mm-hmm. the church, the state, and, and so on. And so, right now, we seem to be laser focused on one part of one thing. Mm-hmm. And as we seek to focus on a healthy ecclesiology across other boundaries, I think we'll have both a healthier ecclesiology and healthier pastors.
2: Mm-hmm. That's good. I think it's a little like you know how when you go to a uh, a restaurant that you heard about on TV or something, and you 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 know that there's one dish that they're famous for, and you're like, "That's what I have to have. I have to have that dish while I'm here." Um, but actually, it's a restaurant that serves five million things that are delicious. Uh, and I think that sometimes the way that we have talked about the role of pastor is like it's the one one dish that's worth you know, being served. And and I don't feel that I, I feel like there are a thousand different wonderful things on the menu, but we don't talk about those things because we're so busy talking about the one thing. And so um I think you're absolutely right, JT. Mm-hmm. I think that um that because we have we have uh overemphasized one role um and the significance you of could one say role over, or just talked about it too much.
1: Emphasized one syllable yes,
2: put the emphasis um, on the there wrong yeah. <laughs> uh ob- obfuscation um
1: that mm. we <laughs> <have> a, <laughs> that was troll right yeah, there that was yeah, good yeah <laughs>
2: that um, that we find ourselves in this place that it it's no wonder that everybody wants to order one thing on the menu when it's the only thing on the menu right. that's ever talked about
1: that's exactly
0: right i'm hungry Binging. now me too uh me too listen um we this is not the first time we've talked about this and it's not I, I can guarantee you it's not going to be the last time that we talk I about it just we didn't have we didn't, didn't we? strike up this conversation because oh, yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah um there'll be no questions <laughs> um no I mean I I just think I think uh our audience deserves to know that uh this is something that we care about we've cared about it from the very beginning this podcast was forged really with That that is a principal goal. Uh, And we've continued to try to do that. And we will continue to try to do that. There are things that are going to continue to happen in the life of evangelicalism, some of which we respond to, some of which we're not going to respond to, um, because they're outside the scope of what we have really dedicated the voice of the show to be. But this is not one of them. Uh, It is something that we're committed to working through and learning uh, together on. If you want to find that other episode you can just search through our podcast it's available whatever wherever you're getting your podcast you can find our first cut on complementarianism if you really want if you really really are glutton for punishment and you just want more just about every q a episode we have ever done it has come up so you could you could you could roll through some of our q a episodes and you will find plenty more on this topic as well um, just a couple of other notes, um, trainthechurch.com. We have an upcoming cohort that's uh, uh, going to launch in the fall of 2022 for church leaders on basically how do you think about adult learning environments and discipleship in a philosophy ministry in your local church. Uh, and you can find out more information about that at church.com. We will be back to weekly episodes in September along with our sister show, the Family Discipleship Podcast, and we'll be launching a brand new podcast, the Confronting Christianity Podcast with Rebecca McLaughlin and myself in this fall as well. So we will see you in the fall for weekly episodes. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Go with God, grace and peace.